0: Welcome to a a new thing we're going to be doing in 2020. Uh, Going to be calling it Talking Goose. Essentially what it's going to be is I will be interviewing different people from around the USL uh, to help preview the upcoming match. Typically, um, not always going to be the case, but primarily what I'd like to do with this segment is interview different people from around the USL. Get to know them as a person, the reason why they support the club they do, um, just to kind of get to know the people around the US all on, on, a, on a different level um, off the pitch, I guess you could say. Uh, typically speaking, we will preview the upcoming match as well, because, of course, you probably want to know that as well. Uh, but yeah, I hope you like it. Uh, this week's episode will be with Mark Asher Goodman. Um, he does a number of things. Uh, he's been, been a journalism in the soccer world for years now. Um, got his start out in Colorado, uh, and now lives in Pittsburgh. So he, uh, will help us preview the game, um, versus the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, of course, this weekend, um, it's a really good conversation, though. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, we talk about a lot of different things, kind of what he sees as the difference between an MLS player and a USL player. Uh, he talks a little bit about Canardo Forbes and, and why he may be st- not stuck at the USL level, but why he may be best at the USL level and, and things along those lines. Uh, the part that I really enjoyed as well uh, is... I uh, wasn't playing this way, I swear, but it's at the end. It, it's going to be talking about his the intersection of faith and soccer and how his faith um, kind of, uh, well, you'll hear him describe it, but how his faith uh, intersects with his soccer fandom. Uh, like I said, I, I think it's really good conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, let me know what you think. Uh, if if you'd like to be a part of something like this in the future let me know but here is that interview i am welcomed now by mark asher goodman of the pittsburgh area thanks for joining the podcast mark
1: thanks a lot ben glad to be on
0: yeah so uh we're gonna dive right into the I guess, an origin story for you in a lot of ways, but more soccer-specific, of course, because this is a soccer podcast. Um, what was... How did you get into the soccer writing? Was there something you've always been interested in? Did you write other things before that, or, or what got you into it?
1: That's a funny question. Um, a good question. I I got into... I was... Um, it's, it's a really simple story to some degree, which is uh, it was out of necessity. I started following the Colorado Rapids in 2013, a year or so after we moved to Colorado. And the team was, um, I, I started to like it and was interested in being a nerd. I mm-hmm. wanted to learn more about it. And I wanted to figure out what was going on with the team um, and what I was seeing and who the players were and what the lineups were and what they were saying about the team. And the local newspaper, the Denver Post, didn't cover them at all. Uh, and the only website that bothered to cover them in any significance other than MLSsoccer.com was um, this little uh, SB Nation Vox website called Burgundy Wave. And they had an editor who did a bunch of writing and, like, two other guys who did some writing. And um, the quality was variable. You know, the editor was a really good writer, but some of the other guys who wrote were lousy. And I followed, I was reading everything they wrote, and after a month or two... They put out a thing saying, hey, we're looking for writers. And one of the things I noticed is they didn't really do much about tactics and they didn't do much about metrics. They didn't really look at advanced math, um, like expected goals at all. Uh, and I said, hey, let me, let me take a shot. So I wrote something. They were like, great, you're hired. Why don't you do a Monday column? And I was like, great. And so I called the column Backpass and I wrote my kind of Monday morning quarterback postgame reflections um, and you know, as a, as a, as an actual working pulpit rabbi, um, and as the rabbi of a school, I did a, I do a fair amount of writing or I had done a fair amount of writing in my, my work anyways. And most of it was kind of of the op-ed sermon variety. And so a, a mm-hmm. column on soccer is something like that. It's like an op-ed on, on your team. So anyways, um, you know, I was writing and then, uh, after a year or two, Um, they, the the editor changed, I became the assistant editor, they wound up kind of, when they made the playoffs in, uh, I think starting in 2015, I started to do interviews, and then in 2016, I got like a full-on media credential. Um, we hadn't, I don't think Burgundy Wave had ever really been invited or welcomed to have, um, a media credential before then, because the previous uh, director of communications just didn't think blogs were were worthwhile um so um so when the editors editorship changed hands we started to get kind of invited to talk to the team and i did a i did an interview with the um the director of youth because nobody had ever even bothered to interview him ever in it like nobody had ever written about him and i was like oh that's a great article so i wrote it it did a lot of uh did a lot of numbers and then Slowly, I got like a press credential. And then over time, you know, I mean, by 2017, um, 2016, I I traveled to Seattle to cover the 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 playoff game and everybody on the staff there was just really nice. They were all just really happy to have uh, two local reporters who traveled to cover the game um and after that like you know i by 2017 2018 i was one of the longest tenured writers in in the press box i'd interviewed most of the players you know you go down and i mean you probably know this they know you they're comfortable with you um they 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 know they know that you're gonna be fair you know you're you may you you can you can walk that line between being a fan of the team which is okay to say as a modern journalist where it didn't used to be um and you can also uh, be uh, fairly objective and say, wow, you guys stink. You've lost 10 games in a row. And, and they, they will, you know, I've had times when, you know, and this, to finish the thought, I've had times when I wrote something and then the general manager called me like an hour after it published because he was concerned about some of the ways I was framing things or he thought that I had gotten bad information or he wanted to like reassure me that like the team was dealing with the problem you know stuff like that so um, yeah, yeah. you know it just kind of evolved over time it was a very interesting thing um, and it's become you know a really odd kind of sometimes paying hobby I would say <laughs> it started out as a fun hobby and then it turned into a thing I used to be a season ticket holder for years and then they were like hey you don't need to pay for tickets anymore you should just come to the game and write about it." and I was like oh that's cool <laughs>
0: It's a and great then, idea, right?
1: Right. And then it actually became freelance journalism for me, where I was actually selling pieces occasionally to, to outlets. So that was kind of fun.
0: And how do you think that maybe soccer writers or the soccer writing, I don't know how to word this, but like how it's changed in your time in MLS and in general, maybe from your perspective?
1: it's a great question. I don't know that it's the only thing that's significantly changed is there are more writers. Um, I think the other thing that's significant about soccer writing is that it's uh, the athletic has given a place for a couple people to make a living at it. But um, other than the athletic, most major newspapers have been in major flocks for the last 10 years. And that's been bad for soccer writers. So, Outside of Jonathan Tannewald at the Philadelphia Inquirer and Stephen Goff at the Washington Post, Um, I'm trying to think if there's any – Kevin Baxter in Los Angeles who covers the Galaxy mostly and LAFC a little. I think that's it. I think that's it for major newspapers that have a full-time, dedicated, MLS-focused soccer journalist. Um, The New York Times has, I think, two or three soccer journalists, but they mostly cover – everything or the European leagues. So um, it's not, I would say it's not stable. It's slightly growing. And if you're willing to bang your head against the wall and take low paid free, free freelance work, um, it's slowly expanding, but you know, it's part of the gig economy. You realistically have to have a second and or a third job in order to actually be a soccer writer.
0: Yeah. So it's more of like a, a passion project that, um, happens to pay on the side. Is that kind of the way you would describe it in a lot of ways? Yeah, I mean, I
1: think, you know, it's it's a, it's a not unlike soccer playing itself where, like, you know, if you're a pretty good player for your club, then maybe you get a sniff at, like, ODP or, you know, like a youth national call-up and then, you know, maybe you get, you know, maybe you get some attention when you're on your U-17s and then maybe you um, wind up on the top team in your academy setup and then maybe from the academy you make it into the senior team and then maybe from the senior team you get into the starting 11. Like it's, but the winnowing down from, you know, a million kids who play soccer to like 30 guys who get signed on to play MLS the next year, it's a massive winnowing down. And I think that's how it is in soccer writing too. You know, Brian Strauss started out, I think with like um, either goal or like, uh, you know, big big soccer America or one of those like cheesy websites from 20 or 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And he's Brian Strauss now. And he writes, you know, he writes for, um, I think he's sports illustrated still. So, um, you know, that's, that's, that's the kind of the dream that if you grind it out, you'll eventually, you could eventually potentially turn it into a career. I mean, I think Pablo Maurer um, at the athletic is a great example that Pablo's a wonderful writer. He's also a great photographer. He was also an auto mechanic while he was, you know, doing a lot of the, The writing and he he finally 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 this last year was able to quit being an auto mechanic because he was writing full-time so that's the dream but it only happens like one in a hundred soccer writers and i think that's okay i mean i think it's okay for me to be able to say to myself like i'm a rabbi i i have my gig um i'm pretty good at that i'm working on some other things but if i never become a full-time professional soccer writer I'll be a tiny bit sad, but not really. I mean, it's like it's like when you're a kid and you dream of being an astronaut and mm-hmm. it doesn't come true. And then you find out later on, you're like, oh, they don't have a lot of astronauts. That's a pretty, <laughs> that's a pretty pie-in-the-sky thing, so. Yeah,
0: and uh, to touch base on the the transition from when you did, and I, I imagine you do still heavily cover MLS and, and watch MLS and things of that nature, um, but as you've transitioned to, watching more USL and having a, a USL club in your backyard. How do you think the game is, what's your view on the game in the USL comparison to MLS, like the gap and, and things of that nature? Yeah.
1: When I came at first, I thought that the gap was pretty small. And for individual players, some of the skill level, like I think um, I'll, I'll quote the assistant GM of the Rapids, Fran Taylor, who I interviewed a couple years ago because he worked for Arsenal, and I asked basically the exact same question, what's the difference between MLS and the Premier League? And he had a great comment, which, which I think works for MLS and USL as well. He said, at Arsenal, you're looking for perfect soccer players. You know, guys who can do everything. They're fast, they're strong, they're physical, they're technical. They can head, they can pass. They have a left foot, they have a right foot, they defend, like they get, you have to be, an absolutely perfect, nearly flawless soccer player to play English Premier League. And when you drop down to MLS, you're not looking for perfect soccer players. You're looking for guys who are really exceptional at three out of five or four out of six things. So for USL, it's very similar, but you're looking for guys who are exceptional at two out of six things or three out of six things or very, very good at four things, but you're never going to find a guy so I'll give you a great example from the Riverhounds, which is Canardo Forbes. Canardo Forbes, 31 years old this year, is one of the most tremendous passers I've seen in soccer. I mean, I've seen him do things with a soccer ball. Like, I've seen him bend a cross in on the run from the right flank to the back post on a dime as well as any player in Major League Soccer. He's just an exceptional, an exceptional passer. He's exceptionally clean on the ball. You cannot take the ball off him. But Canardo is a step slower than he needs to be to play in Major League Soccer. I mean, he's Darlington Nagby minus. You know, he's just yeah. not fast enough, not strong enough, not tall enough, and not good enough at shooting to play in MLS. But if Canardo was 5 or 10% better at a couple of those things, he'd be an MLS caliber player. And he's the best player on the Riverhounds, you know? Mm. Um, you know, um, there's other players that I could, I could belabor this— analogy for hours but like there's other players on the Riverhounds who who match up exactly with this where and then there's the guys who are young and they're just they haven't been discovered yet who you know if they have one or two really good years in USL maybe a team will be like you know what he does have all the things we need to bring him up um but you know and and there's four or five guys this year who were brought up who we'll see we'll see how they do
0: yeah and then one thing I'm curious on cuz it has the, the players moving from USL to MLS has increased dramatically in this last offseason. Um, what's your perspective on that? And do you see that that will maybe be a thing that will happen in the, in the future more often? Or what's your view on that movement?
1: I think that has the biggest question that has to do with that will be mostly around expansion. How much more expansion there will be? How much more money the league will will take in? Um, I think uh, as long as there's a need to fill out the twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight spots, USL will will stand a chance. Um, but it has a lot to do with finances and how stable uh, USL Championship is. You know, if if the teams in the USL championship continue to be financially stable, then that's good. But if you have kind of the situation with the Richmond kickers and Penn FC, where they like spend a year in the league or they're in and then they slip down a division because of finances, um, I think you'll see see less of that. Because, you know, the USL, you probably know better than me, is starting to separate, especially the championship into basically aspires to be an MLS and doesn't, you know? And I think um, Charlotte's a good example of that. Uh, Charleston's a great example of that. Pittsburgh's a great example of that. Um, Teams that are like, we're not quite really in the same, we're not spoken about in the same lofty ways as Nashville was last year or two years ago, or Louisville is right now, or Sacramento or Phoenix. All teams that are basically like, we're banging on the door and we're coming in, you know? And so those teams are going to pick up guys like Daniel Rios who are going to go up and teams like Pittsburgh are going to pick up, you know, maybe guys who, if they are just absolutely gangbusters, then they'll wind up in the league. And if they're, if they're not, then they'll stay in Charleston.
0: Yeah. I think that's a good, not it. And then what would you, what spin your, how do you view the USL as far as the quality and what are things that you take from the game that may be different from what you're taking from an MLS type game or, or the atmosphere, the whole situation around a USL club compared to an MLS club?
1: Um, it's definitely more pure. Uh, I think one of the challenges of watching the Colorado Rapids is, you know, it's a corporate entity. You know, the Rapids in specific because they're part of the greater Cronky Sports Entertainment um, rigmarole. And so everything has kind of a homogenized corporate feel where there really is a central office that also produces materials on the Nuggets and the Avs. And so they have a marketing department and they have an advertising department and they have a sales department and... Everything is kind of focus tested and a little bit too squeaky clean, and it it deadens the basics of fan culture a little bit. You know, supporter culture doesn't feel it's there is organic supporter culture in Colorado, but it's kind of like muted by the corporate message and the and the slickness. And they're trying to package it. They're trying really hard to package it um, while also staying you know neutrally profitable. And in Pittsburgh, it's like totally the opposite experience, which is that Tuffy Schallenberg is the owner. I mean, he owns a mulch company and he owns a concrete company and he owns a... And he, is, his, he, he grew up in... Uh, you know, his kids played soccer for the Connellsville, you know, local soccer club, and he's a soccer fanatic. Like, he's he loses money on soccer. He doesn't do it because he's trying to make money like Stan Kroenke. Is. He does it because he loves the game. Um, and so that's great. And then I think also the the supporters group here um, is just deeply beloved. Like they, they, I've never seen anything like it. You know, the owner and the supporters group are on each other's podcasts and are like on a first name basis. And, yeah. you know, Stan Kroenke has only been to see a Rapids game once in 10 years. Whereas, oh, yeah. yeah. Whereas Tuffy is on a first name basis with most of the supporters group. I mean, like that's just really neat and really special. So that kind of, that kind of thing's really important. And then the same thing applies, I think with the players that the players here, um, you know, the the players are on a, uh, most of the players who've been with the team more than two years are, you know, on a first name basis with most of the supporters group. It's just a really, it, it feels a lot better. You know, it feels a lot, a lot, more uh organic uh real um you know uh like that they they play for they play for the badge more than the paycheck and i think that that's really important but that being said like the paycheck isn't very good so they have to do that
0: yeah <laughs> there's a little maybe more uh maybe not passion but there's more drive behind the play in, in some respects now i'm curious i has your exposure to the the organic side of things and and seeing how it's been it's being done in Pittsburgh compared to how it was done in Colorado has that how has that changed your perspective on soccer and and just what it can do and things of that nature?
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting because I I also cut my teeth a little bit on soccer in Israel when I was living abroad and so I've seen it from a semi-European take although Israel is semi-European and semi-Middle Eastern, a um, uh, kind of hot-blooded, passionate Mediterranean in some respect. Um, and I've seen, I was a fan of a first division team in Israel, and I've been a fan of a second division team in Israel. So um, they're they're kind of similar in just the, the kind of the degree of passion and the degree of rickety brokenness uh, that the teams have to exhibit in order to kind of get things, get things over. So... Um, I'll say that there are some nice amenities to being in an MLS stadium um, that are that are really slick. I mean, I think, you know, I've covered LAFC a little because I grew up in Los Angeles. I go home and when I'm home in Los Angeles visiting my family, I usually try and take in an LAFC game. And I've written about LAFC a little bit more recently. Um, And the amenities they have are like are just off off the chain. I mean, it's just it's a it's it's very high end and it feels extremely, you feel extremely privileged to be around that club. And you can understand that they're attracting a certain caliber of, of fan who wants a certain game day experience that you're not going to get in Charleston or in Pittsburgh. And I think that that's a a bridge that they're trying to, a gap that they're trying to bridge here in Pittsburgh, where you can have a fancy or, or at least a, a decent uh, upper level quality experience, um, and also get good good soccer in in Pittsburgh, but I think the the hominess of Pittsburgh is is really appreciated, and I think I wrote an article this week about improvements I'd like to see at River at the RiverHound Stadium at Highmark, but I know that they're not coming, and I kind of like some of the clunkiness and the silliness of like you know it's the, the concession stand is hot dogs, popcorn, peanuts, beer, like that's you know there there yeah. are not There are not fancy, you know, um, uh, marinated brisket tacos, uh, like there are at LAFC. So,
0: yeah, I think that's, it's, it's cool to hear your perspective on that, of course, and kind of to transition into this weekend's match. Um, what have you seen? Have you, have you been able to see some preseason games from the river hounds or have you mostly just seen it, um, via social media or secondhand
1: they they've picked the worst possible times to have preseason (laughs) games they have them midday on saturday when i'm still at synagogue because usually i like to go to the night games on saturday they've had one game on a friday and then they've had two or three they had two games on a wednesday uh one was at noon and one one they were gonna have at noon and then they moved it up to 9 a.m oh wow yeah yeah. Nobody was at that game. And then, and then they've only, and then they had one other game that I could have attended, which was on a Sunday, but they had it, first of all, they had it in Columbus and second of all, they had it as a closed door game. Mm. So I haven't been, this is last year. I was able to go to a preseason match this year. I wasn't able to, but I got to training three times. And um, so I got a good sense of who's coming in um, who's, who's, you know, on the team's radar um, and how they're going to line up for the year. So um and and i've also been following the team and writing a lot so um just following the basic details
0: so what's your perspective on the changes that have happened because i'll be honest from my perspective i'm looking at and i'm seeing joe greenspan's gone uh i'm forgetting the goalkeeper's name but i know he went to st louis is it morton that's right yeah the goalkeeper's is gone and I'm feeling that like there was an attacking. Yeah. Nico Brett's gone too. So how do you feel those players have been replaced or maybe haven't been? Well, I'll give your
1: listeners to the inside scoop a little bit. So, cause it, it goes to Bob Lilly and some of the challenges of Bob Lilly. So Bob Lilly is an extremely driven, extremely passionate coach who really wants to win and pushes his players really hard. And I think he can be really tough on the players. Um, and that may have contributed to the departure of five players in the off season. Mm-hmm. My sense is that the club wanted to resign the, the following players. You mentioned a couple of them, but Nico Brett, Toby Adewoli, Joe Greenspan, Mohamed Dabo and Kyle Morton. Um, and some of them probably were like, I can make more money somewhere else. And some of them were like, I think I've had enough of working for probably, yeah. uh, I need a break. And, and mm. that's, that's my editorial comment. But my sense is from having covered the team for two years that like Bob is great because if you're a new, if you're a new player and you want to win, he'll push you really hard, but Bob is tough because he'll push you really hard and yeah. he's never going to let up. If you make a mistake, he's going to let you know. And um, you have to be, you know, you have to be pretty flawless to, to play for him. So it, I think that that gets exhausting um so I think that that's that's a challenge. So um, a, a couple of the conventional wisdom is always bet on Bob that Bob Lilly has never had, in I think 22 seasons at any level, a losing season. Not once has Bob Lilly had a losing season. Wow, um, Not in arena soccer, not with the the rhino how, not with the rhinos, nobody. like he he doesn't lose games. So betting on, on them to finish below mid-table is a stupid bet. You, you, you're you losing your money. But that being said, the turnover is, for me, a little worrying. I think a lot of Hounds fans are like, oh, Bob always makes it work. But I, I personally think that Toby Adewoli and Joe Greenspan as center backs were two of the best in the league, especially Joe Greenspan. I don't think it gets a lot better than Joe, but I'm a little biased because I covered him in Colorado also. So
0: I forget uh, about that, yeah.
1: Yeah, I saw his only MLS goal, so I'm the only. I'm only but um, I he, and he won Defender of the Year last year, so I <laughs> think I think that that uh I think Bob Lilly says, well, I can make somebody else the Defender of the Year, and my <laughs> perspective on that is I don't think you can. So yeah, um, so I think that's a that's a, a worry. Um, they did lose two other players who are um who were not kind of you know guys that Bob really wanted back, which is Christian Volesky who was a backup striker who's now with um, uh, Colorado Springs and Kevin Kerr, who retired Um, and Kerr was a dead ball specialist. I mean, he could serve it up from the corner um, and he could cross it better than anybody. And everybody would say that all year. So not having that guy is eh, it's, it's a, it's going to be a challenge. So um, who are the, who have they replaced? So, um, Nico Brett's being replaced up top by Ropapa Mensa, who I think was underused in Nashville last year, deeply, um, just too far down the depth chart. But I think he's a 10 to 15 goal guy. I I would lean 12 to 15. I think he's. I think they'll be fine without uh, Nico Brett. Um, Dos Santos, Steven Dos Santos, will the big body will be there doing hold up play, no problem. Um, the middle of the field is really interesting. You've got Robbie Mertz, who was who's. Um, a rookie of the year quality player last year, really talented University of Michigan um, drafted by the Rapids. They didn't wind up signing him. You've got Canardo Forbes sitting behind him. And then the third position of that kind of dribbly number 10 guy is probably going to be a former D2 player by the name of Anthony Velarde, who um, yeah he played a little. He played about half the games last year. Um, he's pretty decent uh, and he could he could be a breakout star. We don't know. Um, along the back line, so they're going to go probably 5-3-2. The back line is going to be uh, Ryan James, Tony Walls, uh, Thomas Venkia-Ziel, uh Skyler Thomas, who's another USL guy who's bounced around, and then Jordan Dover. Um, and James and Dover are returning. They're um, up and back fullbacks who can kind of do everything. James can bend in a ball. He's a very attacking left back, and he's very talented. I don't know what to make of Tony Walls. Um, Bob likes him a lot. He was uh, he was with the Rhinos uh, back a couple years ago. He helped win a championship with the Rhinos for Bob. So Bob thinks real high of him. Um, Skyler Thomas is a big dude, real tall. Um, and I really liked interviewing him, so I hope he does well. Yeah. Uh, and then Tommy Vankiaziel is a really interesting player because he's used as a center back, but he's really a defensive mid. So they kind of use him as the kind of he kind of drops into the line when they go five at the back when they're when they're compressing and they're they're playing deep and then he'll kind of move up the field and bring the ball out and connect to the midfield. So it's a really good formation and Tommy really knows how to do it. It took him like a year to learn the position, but now he's as good as it gets. And that formation just, you know, they'll they'll trot out two or three different formations on paper every year. They'll trot out a 5-3-2, they'll trot out a uh, – uh, sometimes it'll look three-four-three three on paper, and sometimes it'll look like a four-four-two. 2 It's always the same formation, no matter what. <laughs> Anki zeal will drop between the center backs to, to fill out, um, and he'll link up play, and that's all that you need to know. So, um, yeah, it's, And then it's, and the last thing is goalkeeper. Yeah. Nobody yeah. knows. They, they got rid of all three goalkeepers in the offseason. They signed oh, three wow. new goalkeepers. Um, Anthony Mwembia is coming from Bowling Green. Um, Tomas Gomez was, I think, it's St. Louis last year. I think that's St. right, yeah. And Danny Vitello was, I think, the third uh, keeper for Nashville or Louisville, one of the two. He didn't play a minute, or he played like one minute. So yeah. um, so that's who they're, they've got a goalkeeper. Bob's been running through goalkeepers like crazy since I came here. He doesn't hold on to yeah. his goalkeeper for a year he he's just real tough on him but also so i have and i also have no idea who's going to start on uh, on saturday it could be any one of those three guys
0: yeah it's it's funny because it's i heard a little while ago and i can't remember if i've told you or if you've seen it in passing but uh tommy banky was on trial for us for a little while before he signed for the, the river hounds so every time i see him play for y'all i'm like that would have been nice that would have been pretty good um, and I think he would have fit really well in our, our scheme or strategy or whatever you want to call it. But uh,
1: he kind of does everything you need him to do. I mean, he's yeah. he's defensively fairly solid. Um, he's not a wide ranging guy. He's not he's not mm-hmm. a bullish defensive midfielder who's charging around the field and slide tackling. He's kind of crafty. He sits in space. He sits in spots really nicely. He positions himself really well. And he's tidy on the ball and he brings it out well. And those are those are really good, really good traits to have. The bulldog that we had was uh, Mohamed Dabo. And so that's a slight worry, that we don't have a guy who charges around creating havoc anymore. Um, mm. And that might be a problem.
0: Yeah, I think it will be. After the first game the independents played, I'm very curious how it's going to go because I feel like Bob is just going to park the bus at least for the first half, if not 60, 70 minutes play for the draw, but I'll be curious to see how, or if we are at all possible, able or able to, I should say, break the defense and maybe get some goals or, or whatnot. But to, uh, to ask one more question, and this kind of goes back to more the personal side of things, but I forgot to ask this question as a, a terrible guest or host as I am. But, uh, I'm really curious, your perspective, um, being a rabbi of the Jewish faith, how that influences you as a soccer fan, if at all. Well,
1: it certainly does in the sense that, like, I think there's a lot of aspects to it. Um, There's a a million ways I can answer this question, but, you know, your podcast only has so much tape before it runs out.
0: (laughs) That's true, yeah.
1: The simplest answer is that, um, I have more kindness and patience than your average soccer fan. I think your average soccer fan is highly competitive um, and it's a life or death struggle for them. And the opposing team is the enemy and the refs are always screwing them. Um, and part of the role of the supporter is to badger and abuse the opposing team to uh, to no end until at some point, you know, you, it gets you a competitive advantage. And, like, none of that really works for me, obviously. So um, mm. that's one aspect of it. Um, in other sense, is just kind of, I guess, a sense of perspective. I was like this. I've always been like this, though. I used to um, be a baseball fan, and... You know, there was a sense uh, with baseball, like a family get really upset, like, why can't this guy pitch or, you know, what's going on? And why is our other blow pen, b- bullpen blowing it every night? And and it was like, dude, you've been watching for a week. Take the long view. Chill out. You know, it, it takes time to develop these things. And I think that level of patience is also something that comes with being part of a 4000 year old tradition that like. First of all, it's not life or death. And second of all, you don't always get to the mountaintop um, immediately. You know, you have to wander to be real, almost cliche. You have to wander (laughs) the desert for 40 years sometimes before you see the promised land. And like, um, and suffering is a value. And struggle is to be appreciated. Um, And these are all human beings. So I think that's another thing is that like, you know, I don't. I don't ever feel like I think that's one of the challenges as a writer for me as a writer, as a rabbi and as a person who covers who is a fan of my team. You know, it's very hard for me to write negative things about players unless they are really disappointing. Um, and, um, you know, I, I remember last year um, I got a call from the manager, the general manager of the Rapids. And we were kind of running down players, and he was giving me some inside stuff. He, the this is this is not on this is on the record, off the record, on the record, in the sense. <laughs> so, uh, Porik Smith of the Rapids would call me up, and we would have a long conversation. And somewhere in the middle of the conversation, he would say, "By the way, all of this is off the record," and I would be like, "Damn it!" <laughs> um, I had three phone calls like that where I could use absolutely nothing. Yeah. Uh, or I would say at the end, like, all right, I'm going to turn on the tape and you talk for three minutes about things that you can say on the record. <laughs> but he would tell me things like, so and so had a bad year because he was going through a divorce, and it would change the way I would think about that person and yeah. the way I would write about them. Or he would say, you know, you're right. So and so may not be the best player on our team, but the guy gives 110% in practice and he'll run through a brick wall for you. And that's why he's a really valuable member of our team. And those kinds of things, like, shifted the way I wrote about those players. Um, and maybe a, a non-rabbi, maybe a less sensitive individual who doesn't see the divinity and the inherent intrinsic value of each human being says, I don't care. Is he going to, you know, get 30 goals for us? And, and I'm not yeah. built that way. You know, I'd, I'd honestly rather have um, a team of likable players almost. Um, who are role models than, than a team of scoundrels, you know, mm. win it all. Like, I would have never been a very good writer if I was covering the Detroit Pistons of the, of the late 1980s, you know, the, the <laughs> guys who, who, you know, jabbed you with an elbow behind your back and, you know, wanted to break your face. Um, mm. that's, 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 I think, my, my uh, the, the one challenge I have, which comes with being... A religious person who is also uh, a sports writer, who is also a soccer fan.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, Too damn we nice. wanna... what's that? Too damn nice. <laughs> you got to be more angry, Mark. More. You got to go into your uh, inner soccer fan, I suppose. But don't do that. That's not a good place to be, Find obviously. The Find the righteous anger, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that'll that'll do it for the interview. Definitely want to thank you for taking the time uh, out of your schedule and uh, in your evening. And uh, yeah, anything you'd like to plug or, or anything along those lines here at the end?
1: Sure. If you guys, uh, if fans are going to listen before the game and you guys want to scout the the Riverhounds, um, check out Pittsburgh Soccer Now, which is the website I generally write for on USL. There's a lot of good content there. You can kind of go down a rabbit hole of all the different things. We're going to have our preseason predictions coming up, I think, in a day or two. Um, so that should be exciting. And we're going to preview um, the Char- I'm going to preview the Charlotte game so you guys can read my preview of your team and then be like, oh, my God, this guy's an idiot. He knows nothing. Um, <laughs> Which I entirely admit is true. Well, I,
0: I'll say this, this. It can't be any it. worse than the Sporting Kansas City 2 Blue Testament preview because it said that Enzo and Jeffries, uh, this was their second year with the club, which uh, both could not be farther from the truth. Um, on Enzo's paper, thing. it looks that way. but Yeah, right. Enzo's, yeah.
1: It is Enzo's second year with the club if you just forget the years before he left for MLS. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, yeah, Enzo is right. So, yeah. Um, So that's there. And if you're uh, if you also want, I write about MLS for right now. I'm writing for um, American Soccer Analysis, which is the super nerdy, um, the end all be all of expected goals and expected build up and all the super nerdy math. That's really, really um, great to kind of look at as a perspective on the game. So check out my stuff there. Um, And I also do a podcast on the Colorado Rapids called Holding the High Line with Rabbi in Red. Um, So, you know. If you'd like to hear uh, more of me rambling incoherently about
0: soccer, there's where you get it. Uh, Lots of good options, that's for sure. But uh, thank you again for taking the time tonight, Mark. Thank you.